The Chris Sheeran Show, only on YesNetwork.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of The Chris Sheeran Show here on YesNetwork.com and also iTunes. You could download it for free 99 at iTunes Podcasts. With Lou DiPietro, that's Lou DiPietro, yes, on the Twitter machine. I am Chris Sheeran, yes, and joining us now, 29 all-time, Ken Singleton. How are you, sir? Thank you for joining us. I'm doing fine, gentlemen, and, uh, you know, I'm just chilling out today, having a day off, and uh, looking forward to my next assignment, which won't be for a while. Really? When are you back? Uh, when the Yankees go to Toronto. That's, uh, that's about a week and a half away. On the 14th. Yeah, hey. I, I got some time off here. That's a big series. We'll get, we'll get to the Blue Jays in just a second. Um, Yankees have 58 games left, Kenny. I, I'm, I'm going to put mm-hmm. you back in a player's frame of mind here. 58 games left. They have 34 of them home. No trip the rest of the season is outside the Eastern time zone. How big is that for this team going down the stretch? Yeah, that is big, uh, considering the Yankees have, uh, I guess, one of the older teams, if you will, or the fact that they've completed their West Coast swings. Uh, I know Toronto still has to go out there. The Orioles are starting a three-city tour out there tonight. Uh, so they've got a, a long trip, not just uh, one of these deals where you visit one or two of the cities. They, get, they have to visit all three. So um, uh, that's what they're going to have to deal with for a while here. So the fact that the Yankees do not have to go outside of the time zone, that's that, to me, that's really big. And they have today and next Monday off. So coming off that, that season-high-tying 10-game road trip, they've got six games at home after today and then another day off before they go out on the road. So they're, they're getting plenty of rest in the time when, when they need it right here in the dog days of August. That's true. Uh, completing this trip, a recent trip to Minnesota and um, Texas, where they went 6-4, and four, it, uh, maybe it should have been 7-3, and three, but the fact is they had a winning road trip and uh, – uh, they played pretty well on the trip. I, I think one thing I was amazed with, uh, Lou, is the fact that the, the Yankees' bottom of the order has really come to life here. They've really started to swing the bat. It seemed that the uh, top uh, five or six hitters in the uh, order during the course of this year were carrying the bottom three or four, but now they, they've started to uh, hold their own and maybe leading the other ones. It's... The fact is that uh, uh, the Yankees really become a circular uh, lineup here where everybody can either start a rally or finish one off. And that, that's, that's a good sign going down the stretch. It's interesting you should bring that up, Kenny, because I sat at my kitchen table this morning uh, at 5 a.m. <laughs> and, went, and, and went through the last 13 games because I know Ryan Rucco had brought it up on one of our broadcasts that the last six games, the six through nine hitters were just uh, ridiculous at the plate. So I decided to go back those six games and then go forward the next seven. So over the last 13 games, the six through nine hitters, and it's been, you know, potpourri. It hasn't been the same guys, but uh-huh. they're, they're hitting 361. They're 72 for 199. And a big part of that has been Didi, who's been reborn, 14 for 32 on the trip, batting 438 with 12 ribbies. I mean, he's he's smoking the ball lately. He is, and I think, Chris, as the season's gone along, uh, the light has gone on for D.D. Gregorius. It seems that uh, he's a very aggressive hitter, first of all. You know, that first thing smoking near the strike zone, he's usually going to swing at. But one thing he has done, he's hit the ball much, much better to the opposite field. If you notice, he's getting a lot of line drives towards the gap in left center. Yeah. You know, looping some into over the shortstop's head, and that's because when he gets the two strikes, or even earlier in the cast, 
he recognizes that certain pitches aren't the ones to be pulled. You know, pitches on the outer third of the plate. When you try and pull those, you usually end up with a ground ball to second or just a swing and a miss altogether. But uh, he, he has now hit the ball much, much better to the opposite field. I think he's a much better hitter than he was at the beginning of the season. And that 13-game stretch, Kenny, goes back to their, their last game at the stadium before the road trip, where, again, it was the bottom of the lineup that against Baltimore just really got things going off Jimenez. You know, he almost got out of the first inning, loads the bases, gets Tex, gets Beltran, Headley gets the big hit, Didi gets the big hit to, to drive yeah. in Headley, and, and the race is on. So home and away, these guys have just been on fire over the last two weeks. Yeah, that's said. true. You, you mentioned Headley's name, Lou, and I, I think one thing he has done, well, he's hitting for both sides of the plate very well, and he, too, is uh, you know, kind of cutting down his swing with two strikes, and uh, he, he's... Uh, really been a force. I know he, he was either second or third in the league in batting average in the month of July, and hopefully that will continue the remainder of the season. But he's, he's been very effective. And not only are offensively are he and Didi doing a good job, but defensively they're doing a very good job. Now, I know they both made an error in the same game the other day in Texas, and for both of them that was like their first error within the last month. So that they're picking it up defensively and offensively, and uh, that's certainly a good thing to see. Yeah, uh, just one more thing here on the offense, Kenny, before I, I throw it to the pitching staff. The last seven mm-hmm. wins, just just in numbers, the last seven wins the Yankees had, they've scored 76 runs. Now, I know 21 was in that one game that you did in Texas, <laughs> but my goodness, just top to bottom, and Mark Teixeira said it the best, I think, he said, you know, you can't have the same three or four guys hitting every night. You need it to be a group effort, and that's exactly what the Yankees are getting right now. Yeah, they're getting that right now, but uh, it's interesting that he mentioned it that way because usually during the course of the season, you'll have stretches where everybody seems to be swinging a bat pretty well, but then you'll have stretches where, you know, maybe four guys are swinging well or five, and five can carry four. That, that can happen. It, it gets a little tougher when it flips the other way, when four are, are in charge of carrying five or, or three are in charge of carrying six. That, that's a little tougher. But right now it seems like everybody's getting a job done. You've got to ride this as long as you can. Maybe two or three of the guys will cool down a bit, but that still means six are carrying three, which uh, you know usually leads to quite a few runs. It's, uh, lately, you know how much, uh, how much in the way of run support Evaldi's been getting? Uh, for the Yankees this year, that's why he's got an 11 and two record. It's like Evaldi's pitching every night now, and that's that's the way the Yankees are going. <laughs> it's it's almost you know you mentioned three carrying six or four and five. It's almost 12 carrying 12 because Brendan Ryan's hitting over 300 since coming back. John Ryan Murphy three for four in that last Baltimore game on the homestand. Then he hits the big home run in Minnesota. Uh, he, he's uh-huh. hitting really well. Chris Young, obviously, we know what he's done against lefties this year. It's everybody up and down the lineup. Even when a, a big gun's taking the day off, these guys like Ryan, you know, Ryan Murphy and Young are, are stepping in and, and just picking right up where they leave off. You, you're right, Lou. And the fact is that that means the team doesn't miss a beat because when your role players are are jumping in and uh, helping out offensively, you know, that, I think that was uh, as Joe Girardi said, uh, the game-winning home run by John Ryan Murphy in Minnesota. So that was the biggest win of the year. Uh, first of all, the Yankees were down 5 nothing really quick. They were dead uh, in the they water. They had yeah. a rough start. Mm-hmm. But to, to me, uh, that enthusiasm was uh, you know, a joy to see in the, in the dugout. Usually you don't see that from major leaguers. They're really professional. But one, one of the guys comes through that's a role player that usually you don't see in a, you know, a big hero type situation. I, I think that just uh, gets everybody all fired up. And I, that was very good to see. 
just spontaneous reaction from from the whole team in the dugout. And that caught that caught David Cohn and I completely off guard. We were watching the game in the studio. And David said, ah, he just missed it. And the ball just kept carrying and carrying and carrying, and it got out. So good for John Ryan Murphy. Now, the pitching, Kenny, this could be where things could get a little dicey. We know that uh, Luis Severino is going to make his debut on Wednesday. But the Mm -hmm. length of this rotation, they're not really giving Joe Girardi length lately. I know you had the one eight-inning start. He pitched into the ninth, Evolving, did Evaldi. Yeah. One batter. But other than that, I mean, it's been hit and miss and, and, and mostly miss. So is that going to cause a problem heading down the stretch here, especially if Severino can't come up here and flash some, some of the brilliance he has in AAA? It, it could, and I, I think as the season's gone along here, this this is kind of, I wouldn't call it exactly a weak link, but it's been the weakest part of the team. Uh, the, the, the fact is that the starters, or not going as deep as you would like. I think uh, well, the bullpen has been very, very strong. And I think that's you, – you look at the way pitching staffs are built nowadays, and they're built from the back to the front as opposed from the front to the back. And I think uh, this is what Brian Cashman had in mind. You know, coming into the season, Tanaka was a question mark. CC was a question mark coming off a of knee surgery. Uh, Nova was out altogether. So the Yankees were going to have to – Evaldi was a type of pitcher you weren't really sure what you were getting. Uh, so the Yankees' starting rotation was kind of iffy. And as the season's gone along here, it's been okay. But Tanaka's been maybe not as good as he was last year. Uh, there's still that question mark. Assisi uh, certainly hasn't been as good as he was in the past. And it's going to be a bullpen day when he pitches as opposed to – uh, when he had any sort of a lead going late in the ball game, you could almost leave him in there until it got to be Mariano's side. Right. Well, you know, now that's not the situation anymore with him. If he has the lead going into the sixth inning, George Arati's looking to go to the bullpen because CC gives up so many leads. Uh, he's, you know, touched up for among the league leaders and home runs allowed. So this is, uh, this is an issue. You're right. Um, but if the Yankees have the lead going into the sixth inning, the bullpen comes into play, and the bullpen's been very strong. They usually hold the lead. I, I know Chris is going to talk about this a little bit more when we go into Severino shortly, but I want to run this by you, Kenny, because it's something I asked Flash a couple weeks ago, and I've asked elsewhere. The Yankees have used so many guys in the bullpen this year coming up and down, the Rumbelows, the uh-huh. Goonies, the Caleb Cothams. When it gets to be September 1st and the rosters expand and Girardi's got 15 guys down there in that bullpen, does this – issue that we have now of the, the the starters not giving length, does it become less of an issue and maybe even more of a strength? Because now you've got a dozen or more relievers down there who all seen these situations, and he can go mix and match in the sixth inning if CC's not going very far, or if Evaldi's at 100 pitches through four or five, or if somebody has a start like Brian Mitchell had the other night on Saturday where he came out after four innings, I think it was. It, it, does that almost become a strength now where you know you've got 10, 11, 12 guys down there who've all been through this, nobody's got the rookie jitters, and, and they can mix and match and get through games without having to, to burn the miller batantis wilson combo that seems to be the, the back end? Lou, that, that's a very good point because all these guys have uh, you know, had you know, some success or at least seen the big leagues, maybe for a day or two at a time, but this is the way they maneuver the roster now. And uh, we mentioned it the other day that if uh, if you're a pitcher and you throw 20 or 30 pitches one night and you're, you're the 25th man on the roster, you know where you're headed the next day. You're going to Scranton-Wilkesbury. 
so they can get somebody else up here who could help the team. That's just the way the, the you know, the uh, rules are now that you can option guys out almost an uh, uh, unlimited amount of times and send them back and forth. So that's how teams maneuver the rosters. Baltimore did it very well last year. Uh, Dan Duquette and Buck Showalter maneuvered their roster with their bullpen uh, very well. And that this year the Yankees are, are creating some experience for a lot of their young pitchers in the minor leagues who come up, whether they pitch or not, you know, that they, they are in the big leagues and they get a feel for what's going on. Uh, they get a feel for a winning type atmosphere. So uh, if somebody does have a short start, you can run somebody in there for an inning or two and bring some, another guy in right after him after September 1st when you, the rosters are expanded. And I'm sure just about everybody the Yankees is going to bring up has already had some major league experience. And you just hope that the uh, gas mileage on the Scranton shuttle gets... Uh... It's pretty good. You know, yeah, it's running a lot. Gets its money's worth. Um, uh, another guy coming up on this shuttle is going to be Severino making his debut against the Red Sox on Wednesday. Yeah. Kenny, I, did you see him? I don't want to assume that you saw him in spring training, but I'm, I'm assuming you saw him in spring training make a couple of Yeah, starts. I've seen him the last couple of years. Um, I want to see how much he's developed over the year. Now, I haven't you know, seen him pitch this year. Uh, I saw, uh, I think there was a story about him on Yankees Magazine, but outside of that, uh, not much. I haven't seen him in a game situation. So apparently, uh, what is he? Nine and two overall on the season. Nine and seven two. And yes, seven and zero in AAA. Yeah, he's uh, he seems to be the real deal. Uh, you know, Brian Cashman was hesitant to move him for anybody, and uh, of course, uh, anybody you pick up in a trade is going to cost you a lot of money uh, just to pay him, or even want to keep him if they're going to be a free agent and you want to sign him. Uh, the best way to go is you develop your own, and uh, hopefully that uh, Severino come up and be the real deal and help the Yankees down the stretch. There have been uh, instances in the past where teams have called up younger pitchers, and uh, they catch fire going down the stretch, and uh, they help them either win a pennant or, or a division. Were, were you surprised, Kenny, that the Yankees stood pat, or were you not? Because they basically said they weren't going to get rid of any of their young prospects, you know, for a rental or, or, or at the trade deadline. Are, are you surprised that they stood pat here? Well, no, I'm not, because uh, from what I saw in spring training, some of these guys could really play. Right. You know, they just needed more seasoning. So if uh, somebody was asking about Aaron Judge, I don't. I, I want to see Aaron Judge play in, in the Bronx. I, I want to see I think a lot of people do. Yeah, I, I don't want to see them go somewhere else and become successful for a pitcher that you might have for two months or a player you might have for two months and then becomes a free agent. And if the Yankees retain him, he's going to cost you millions. So these are young guys that you've developed. Uh, I think the Yankees have uh, taken a turn in their farm system, where they've had some players that can help them at the big league level. We've seen it with a lot of these young pitchers. You know, albeit for maybe one or two games at a time. But uh, when Aaron Judge finally gets to the Bronx, he's not going to be a one or two game guy. He's going to be somebody who plays almost every day. So that, that's, that's what you're looking for in the future. And Severino, if he's successful, you're looking at somebody who might be pitching for you for the next 10 years. So that, this, this is what you want uh, out of your farm system. We saw it before with the likes of the core four. And uh, so maybe they're trying to develop a, a, another series of players that they can have for a long, long time, and you know, people look up to as homegrown Yankees. I think one other thing too, Kenny, that a lot of people, you know, the social media world was a buzz that the Yankees stood pat. The Dustin Ackley move being the only thing they did, but there, there's a lot mm-hmm. of people that may not realize that this team, as it's as it's constructed now, 
there's only a couple of guys who are role players, really, that are free agents after this year. And then, you know, to share in Beltran after next year and maybe CC if his option doesn't vest, but that's uh-huh. where Bird and Judge step in. So there, there's really no – there's nowhere the Yankees could go out and, got, and find a, a huge impact player that would have an everyday long-term role on this team. So maybe an incremental upgrade like a, a guy like Ackley pretty much is, is really where the Yankees look best. Jerry Hairston had a pretty good impact in 2009, from what I remember, you know, looking uh, looking at it from the other side of the TV. So maybe that's where this team fits best in terms of the trade deadline. Well, there's there's another thing to uh, think about here too. Is the fact that the Yankees have a six game lead. Yep. That's so true. maybe the uh, sense of urgency was not there to go out and, and get a pitcher. Um, you know, somebody like a David Price. And the the, the thing about it too is that um, the six game lead. To me, that translates into they're at least a week ahead of everybody else. Uh, so it, it would, at, at worst, if the Yankees lost six in a row and the Blue Jays or the Orioles won six in a row, then they'd be tied. But that's not going to happen. To me, I don't see the Yankees losing six in a row. And uh, maybe the other teams get hot, but the Yankees will win their share of games. And that week translates into at least 10 days. And these are 10, 10 12 days off the schedule that the Yankees are still going to be in first place. So, so you're talking about maybe half a month. They're still in first place for the next half month. So, And that's if everything goes poorly. So if they continue to play pretty well, and to me, as we talked earlier, the schedule's kind of in their favor. They don't have that, any long trips anymore. Uh, so that I, I think things are looking pretty good going into these last two months for the Yankees. And they play Toronto a lot this month, too. So there's another chance, like they do with Baltimore, to put distance between you and the guys that are chasing you. Yeah, I, I think one thing that... Uh, you know, I look at Toronto, and it's a very interesting team. I know they went out and improved themselves. Uh, but one thing Toronto has done over the years, and it's not just this year, I mean for a lengthy period of time, they've been pretty tough at home because they can hit. But uh, I think the Yankees can hit with them. Uh, the Blue Jays have scored more runs than anybody. The Yankees are second. So offensively, I think the Yankees can hang with them. Uh, I know they picked up Price, which is a big, uh, a big pickup. And their starting rotation is okay. It's their bullpen that's kind of shaky. And when you get to the latter stages of the games and you blow games, those are the ones that really hurt. The ones that were in the win column, but all of a sudden within the last, you know, six to nine outs have been erased and you go into the lost column. And that, that to me, that's the big difference between the Yankees and the Jays and the Yankees and, and most teams, uh, that their bullpen does not give up leads. And I, I think in close ball games going down the stretch, uh, it's going to be tough. Another thing I want to mention about the Jays, uh, they're doing it again this year. They've got a losing record on the road. They're very successful at home because it's a very good hitter's park. But for some reason, they can't win on the road. And this has been going on. They've had 11 consecutive years Well, they've had a losing record on the road, and they're doing it again this year. So uh, if, if they don't get, get over that hump, I know you can win if you have a losing record on the road. You can win a division. It doesn't happen very often, though. And uh, it's, I, I think the last team to do it might have been the Red Sox, but I, I'm not really sure about that. But uh, the, the fact is that uh, uh, they're going to have to play better on the road if they want to have any chance of winning this division. Yeah, there's 13 games between the Yankees and Blue Jays left this season. The Yankees have That's seven. That's a lot. Yankees have seven at home. Uh, six on the road, and they have six against mm-hmm. the Orioles, three at home and three on the road. And against both of those teams, Kenny, uh, the Yankees have been outscored uh, 26-16 uh, in the six games so far with the Jays. 
and uh, uh-huh. sixty-two fifty-nine in the thirteen games with the Orioles so far. But the Yankees' schedule going down the stretch here. I mean, it's in their favor. Besides having those 19 games left against the two teams that are directly chasing them and six more, you could throw the Rays in. They're eight back. So six against Mm -hmm. the Rays, two, three, and three. But you go past those top three teams behind them in the AL East, and all three of those teams are within at least three games of the AL second wild card. Uh, You have the the Red Sox for 10, and seven of those are in the Bronx. You have the Indians for seven. Four at home, three on the road. The White Sox for four. That's a four-game set at home. The Twins for three. The Astros, Braves, and Mets for three. The Astros and the Twins are home, and the Braves and Mets are on the road, if you want to call the Mets a road game. And Uh I just think this is set up. I mean, the Yankees did their due diligence up until now. I just think the way this schedule is set up the rest of the way, barring the Jays and the Orioles, that – it's listen. It's not the yellow brick road into the postseason into yeah. October, but it's the Yankees winnable. would have yeah the Yankees would have to fail miserably in order to not get to the postseason. Well, what they got fifty nine wins right now. That's correct. Fifty nine. Yes. Yeah. So if they win thirty one more of these games, that gives them ninety wins. Right. So to to me. 90, you're going to be in the playoffs, that's for sure. <laughs> and 90, you probably win the division. Uh, and any, people were talking about 90, this. They're, they're going to do it. Yeah, people were talking about this division. The division 80, winner having 80, 85, yeah. 86 wins. So to have 90 is, you know, above and beyond what this division was supposed to do. Exactly. I, I, you know, you could see the division coming on a little bit. Uh, you know, they they weren't going to be down the whole season. I think the whole division kind of rallied a little bit. Uh, in particular, the Yankees uh, in July. They they just went off in July. So I, I think one thing we've seen, uh, the chemistry, the confidence, uh, the two big C's chemistry and confidence have really picked up on this team. Uh, chemistry comes from winning. Uh, so does confidence as well. So I, I think if you see this team, uh, every time they go out, they feel they're going to win. If they lose, it's just a mistake, and they try and correct it the next day. So that, that's me what I see from very good teams over the years. When they lose a game, it, it just doesn't really resonate with them. It's just a mistake, and tomorrow we'll get somebody to pitch a good game, or tomorrow we'll come out and score 10 runs. And uh, even if we don't pitch well, we can out-hit our own pitcher. So that, that's, that's basically what I see from the Yankees. <laughs> Mr. Singleton, you are off the hot seat, sir. We appreciate the time today. Thanks for hanging out with us for a little bit. Chris and Lou, it's been my pleasure, and this is going to be fun going down the stretch. I'm looking forward to it. Absolutely. Hopefully the Yankees have a little American pharaoh in them. (laughs) 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 All right, Kenny, enjoy the day today and enjoy some golf tomorrow, my friend. Take care. Okay, Chris. See you, Lou. Take care, Kenny. There he goes. Kenny Singleton, great job out of him. A little Yankees baseball. Chilling down there in the outskirts of Baltimore, down there where he lives. On a 93-degree day, I think he said it was, before Um, we got on the air. He has such a great voice. Like, I want him to read me bedtime stories. (laughs) I swear to God. I mean, he just has such a soothing voice. And he's talking about baseball. You know, there's one thing. you, You look at a lot of teams in baseball, and obviously this may sound a little homerish tooting our own horn, but... You know, the Mets have a very good team with Gary Cohen and Keith and Ron. Yes. Both bring a different perspective to, the, to the, the color analyst role. We have several who bring different perspectives. And, you mm-hmm. know, you've got Coney, who's a very big on the Sabre metrics and understands things from the pitcher's mm-hmm. point of view. Kenny played in the major leagues for 15, 16 years, as did Flash. 
Flash being a catcher, Kenny being a good hitter. You know, they bring different points of view to go along with Michael. And then when Kenny does play-by-play with one or the other, you say, get both. Yeah, so, Kenny, Kenny's a great play-by-play. And I, I don't mean voice. to slide out Lighter or Paul O'Neill either. No, but I mean, just you're not. those top three right off the bat. And those guys, I mean, we, we have a lot of different insights from uh, a lot of different viewpoints in the booth at any given time. I think it's, I think it's a tremendous mixing of yep. minds mm-hmm. in our booth. It Absolutely. really is. Um, <laughs> I just remember the, the old Batman and Robin movie. Yes. The very end where they're in the UN, like the room with all the, the guys from mm-hmm. everywhere. This strange mixing of minds. Strange uh, mixing God. of minds. It, I don't know why that popped into my head, but you said that, and it kind of it, that yeah, that's our booth in a nutshell, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, and thank God it's not like the booth in Naked Gun for crying out loud. Well, I just mentioned the Mets too. We we have two first place teams in New York on August third. How about that? The last time I looked that up too. The last time that happened was August third, two thousand six. Wow. That was the year that Tom Glavin, uh, or no, 2006 was the year that Carlos Beltran struck out looking against Wainwright. Yes, absolutely right. Right. So Beltran was a Met then in Queens, and Randy Johnson was a Yankee. Say something funny. No. <laughs> I must kill the Queens. <laughs> That's red. Naked gun. I know. Oh, boy. All right. We're going to keep this Yankee talk rolling Next along guest. here. Yes. It's a cavalcade of superstars here on the Chris Sheeran and Lou DiPietro show. All of the above. Yes. Uh, coming on to the stage right now, uh, a man that you might know if you've been in the Scranton Wilkesbury area and you've listened to a Scranton Wilkesbury Rail Riders game. It's John Sadak, the play by play voice of the Rail Riders. He also does uh, work for Westwood One, CBS, ESPN, and Fox doing play-by-play. And he's also uh, a Rowan graduate. And one hell of a model American. Yes, Mr. John Sadak. Welcome to the program, sir. Well, thank you, sir. Yes, uh, uh, I'm grateful for the opportunity to be so Uh So, John, basically, you know, the Yankees stand pat at the trade deadline. And all you heard leading up to the trade deadline was Brian Cashman did not want to get rid of his young, talented players on the farm. They've took, taken their time building this back up to what it needed to be, and they stood pat, and one of the main names you kept hearing possibly being dealt for a front-of-the-line starter was uh, maybe a kid who might be a Yankees front-of-the-line starter, and we might get to see that now in Luis Severino. So what can you tell us as a guy who's seen him throw his 11 starts down at Scranton? What could Yankee fans expect when he uh, takes the mound on Wednesday? I think the number one thing that stands out from Luis Severino is his his presence, his aura. He, He has this confidence, this calmness about him. He never gets rattled. 21-year-old right-hander, and I did not see a single situation against a variety of veteran lineups, many of which had multiple men with extended big league time that rattled him. Uh, whether it's fielding his position, whether it's the limited jams that would come, usually on squid, just fair singles, or you know, bleeding balls that find a spot. Even on days when his command wasn't great, there would be starts when he only had one pitch, and he dominated pretty much everybody that he saw. He, he was, right from the start, electric. And I, I think over these last three to four starts or so, it's been proven that he's not being challenged at this level. The AAA, as high a level as it is for a 21-year-old, he can go out there even with his D or C stuff sometimes and overwhelm one through nine. 
And, and he's been facing a lot of lineups in the International League, too, that there's a lot of ex-major leaguers or, as you call, may call them, 4A players or guys who've had plenty of time in the majors. So this isn't some low minor league guys who only know how to hit one pitch. These are bona fide major league hitters in some cases. They are. And you, know, you look at the, the rest of our rotation at times, uh, we've had guys like uh, Kyle Davies with seven years of big league experience, and Ezreal Rogers, who Yankee fans are, are uh, familiar with for his his uh, efforts in relief this year. Chris Capuano is back at the rotation here. And those guys on some nights are not having great success because these are pretty good lineups they're going up against on a daily basis. They're not a major league lineup, but they're as close as you'll find in terms of on uh, a minor league level. And for Severino, he was better at AAA than he was at AA. John, he was six and five uh, last year between Charleston, Tampa, and Trenton with a two forty seven ERA. This year, between Double A Trenton and Scranton Wilkesbury, uh, nine and two with a two forty five ERA, and at Triple A seven and zero with a one ninety one ERA. The the past two years, the common denominator has been the low ERA, and you're sitting here telling us both that this guy is dominating at the AAA level, and there's no other challenge for him down there. Um, and his whip, I-, I looked it up, his whip at Scranton would work out to be fifth in the major leagues right now. It's somewhere in the .91-ish range, right? Uh, nine, .92. Yeah. Yeah. .92 would be right behind Clayton Kershaw. So, I mean, it's a no-brainer to bring him up here. There was a little concern, John, about his innings limit, that was being bandied about before Brian Cashman came out earlier this week and said we've been managing it, uh, his starts, his pitch counts, he should be okay. Uh, how much of a weapon, especially with the, the up and down uh, rotation this year the Yankees have had, how much of a weapon can he be the rest of the season here? That's a great question. I- I'm not sure how he's going to handle major league lineups on a, on a every five-day situation. His stuff can clearly play, uh, but he is still learning to command the zone. He's still learning to throw more strikes. I, I don't feel at this level he was challenged by opposing hitters, but I do think he's challenged by his own ceiling. I, I don't think he's still even at 70% of what he'll eventually be when he really grips firm command of all three pitches. Uh, the fastball is outstanding. It's a 95-plus. He'll hit 97, 98 at times, and it moves. And generally, he commands that. Almost every outing, he has a pretty good feel for that fastball. Uh, in his AAA debut, he threw three straight mid-90s fastballs against Henry Arudia, one of the Orioles' top prospects who had been having a really good season, and, and Arudia couldn't touch him. Three-pitch strikeout, see ya. What? Uh, that's what he was like at his most recent start, too. Uh, but the changeup, which is a very hard change, it's a high 80s, low 90s pitch, is also devastating. It has a tremendous tail and drop to it that it looks a lot like a hard slider that some other big leaguers might throw. And then he has a slider uh, that is the pitch he's been working on the most. He has said that his comfort level has grown with it. He's throwing it more often. That was a conscious decision to try to improve the pitch. That's the one that he needs the most work on still. If he has all three of those going, I don't care what lineup it is in the big leagues. The, the stuff that he has... And even more than that, the mentality, the aggressive attack nature that he possesses, he will more than handle himself, and he has the stuff to be a top of the rotation on. And what about his mentality, his makeup? Is, is he going to be okay with the bright lights in the big city when he, when he gets up here to New York? He 
very, very easily will. Uh, he has a, a pretty good command of the English language, and he lets things soak up and, and come to him. He, uh, no matter what type of question is posed to him, and we've had reporters from major New York publications in multiple times, from national media entities, and they ask him some challenging, difficult questions. He'll get that far more when he's you know, thrust into the big league environment every day. He never, ever gets put off pace by it. Uh, and you see the same within moments of the game. He's a very good athlete, much better than when you first look at him. He's a good size. He's 6'2". He's a strong young man. But he moves far more nimbly than his physique would suggest. And he seems to have the overall baseball savvy, the ability to anticipate that innate sense of timing, of knowing how fast a runner is, of knowing his window to make the play. That when you watch him field his position, he makes it makes you feel like he could be a shortstop or he could be a center fielder, that he has, he has that kind of spry nature about him. And even more than the physical element, I think it's exactly that. It's that, that mental internal clock. It's that calmness, that self-assuredness. There, there's a confidence about him that as soon as you meet him, for well, the first time you engage him, it comes off. It, it radiates from him. And I think that's the exact type of mentality and personality disposition that you want in a starting pitcher. How how much is this going to help him, John, in his development? Now, you know, you can't expect the kid to go undefeated with the big club. But say, you know, hypothetically, he he uh, finishes 500 the rest of the year. Say he makes, I don't know, four starts, six starts, something like that, and he goes three and three or two and two. Um it's all beneficial for him moving forward. You would have to think that no matter what happens in his outings up here, it's got to be beneficial looking towards the future, especially, you know, the immediate future next year. Yes, because I think he has the stuff and he has graduated by earning you know, his promotions along the way that that's the next step for him. So that's the challenge that he's going to have to overcome. I, I think getting a taste of that now, in a situation where the team is you know, first place and poised to be a playoff team and, and his starts matter, games that really matter, winning makes a difference, I, I think is, is integral to his development and to the future success of the organization as well. He's, he is one of those prized pieces that, uh, as you mentioned, in terms of trade deadline, a lot of teams inquired about. You know, that, that he has tremendous value. When we go on the road, or even at our home park, when opposing scouts come up and ask questions about players, the guy they asked the most questions about this year on a team that's full of prospects is Luis Severino because he stands out that much. Pitching is at such a premium, uh, and he is so far advanced for both his age and in comparison to all the other prospects. Uh, in this league this year, we saw Aaron Nola, top pitching prospect of the Phillies. LSU, great command guy, has firm command of three pitches. His stuff is nowhere near what Severino did. I think wow. Nola could be a good big league pitcher. Wow. Nola could be a great pitcher. The Yankees certainly hope he's a he's a good to good to very good major league pitcher this week coming in against the Red Sox. I mean, there might be no bigger pressure. First place Yankees, biggest rival, Yankee Stadium, bright lights. It's August pennant race. It's going to be a an interesting interesting moment. For I want to see how he handles fans. Yeah, yeah. David Ortiz. <clears throat> that should be interesting. You mentioned players that get a lot of of questions down there in AAA, and and two of the guys that. It seems Brian Cashman has said were untouchables besides Severino were Aaron Judge and Greg Bird, who you've seen now in their first taste of AAA. How have they been doing? And, and, you know, Yankees fans obviously know 
that they're on the way. And smarter Yankees fans also know that Carlos Beltran and Mark Teixeira are only under contract for one more year. So it's the Judge Bird era coming soon. What have you seen from them in their first taste of, of AAA so far this year? Uh, well, I, I think I would speak to that in two different uh, doctrines. First, I would say that they're both outstanding people. And that's a rhetoric that you'll hear you know, thrown out there about rising players at times. And uh, sometimes it's just uh, filler. It's just something to try to, to pump the guy up. It's legitimate with really this entire team. But those two guys, because of their high-end prospect status, you know, let's be honest, so a lot of elite athletes in our world that have been coddled their entire lives and told how great they are don't always have the greatest personality disposition where they're on the precipice of extreme success. These guys are outstanding gentlemen. Uh, they're constantly available in terms of community service, and they have that teammate nature. Uh, they deflect a lot to others. They, they talk about their own personal challenges. But then they back it up with outstanding ability. Uh, I mean, Aaron Judge, as soon as you beat him, he's 6'7", 275 pounds. <laughs> he's an inch and five pounds away from being Chudebian County, and he's an out. <laughs> he's, he's hard to miss. Yeah, he's, and he's, he's got outstanding strength. Uh, he's very honest about his home run approach. While he co-leads the Yankees farm right now in home runs with Gary Sanchez, he'll tell you, I'm not looking to hit a home run. And that's something you hear a lot. It's not always true with him. I really believe it is. There's a genuine nature about him, and he recognizes. He'll talk about how his size creates a, a leverage that as long as he hits the ball right, home runs will happen. And when they don't, He's glad to take a hard single or a double. Uh, he's shown the athleticism that he has uh, more stolen bases this year at AAA than he had on his entire career before he entered this level. He's played center field multiple times, as he did in college, but it's a different thing playing it at Fresno State and playing it in AAA baseball. And he, uh, he also is an outstanding fastball hitter. We'll see some high-end arms at times, and, and he has no trouble keeping up with that, even though he has that big strike zone. Uh, he's doing a better job of getting a feel for elongating counts, for working walks. Strikeout rate is down a bit from where he was at double-A, but he still flummoxed a bit by the advanced off-speed pitching, and that's where I think triple-A for him right now is perfect. There are guys like Randy Wolf, like Jeff Francis, that are – veterans with extended major league time that have really good command and really good changes, curveballs, and sliders. Those are the pitches that he's still learning, in particular in a two-strike situation. How to anticipate it, how do you fight it off, how do you hit it, how do you put it where you want it to go. Uh, we've seen visible progress with that. He's still not quite 100% there. He needs more bats. Uh, and, and Brian Cashman talked about it. He's been quoted as saying that when he gets to 200 plate appearances at each level, he takes this giant leap. It seems like all the knowledge clicked in that instance. And he would do that around probably third week of August or so, and we're seeing movement toward that, and I would anticipate that would happen. Uh, with Greg Bird, great power. Uh, he has 10 home runs as well between AA and AAA. Uh, the pull power is obvious. He's very good defensively at first base for a converted catcher. Uh, he, he's been pretty nimble there. He handles balls in the dirt well. Uh, at this level, there are a variety of other infielders that play out of position or guys that are basically utility men, like Jose Perella, Cole Figueroa. So he doesn't always deal with the greatest of throws. At our home ballpark, he can be a tough setting son over the third base seats, and he's done an outstanding job with that. He also has a calmness at the plate, similar to what Severino possesses on the mound. He can be down 0-2, and he'll find a way to bring it full. He might lead the team in 
full count race per plate appearance because of how well he works out. <laughs> and his philosophy is a simple one. It's, I, I'm going to wait for my pitch, and I'm going to hit the pitch that I want. And when I get two strikes, I'll be selectively defensive. And he's also selectively aggressive. It sounds so simple, but it's very hard to master, especially for a younger guy like a yeah. two-year-old, and he's done that. It's a pretty good approach, though, if you just sit back and think about it. And if it was that easy, yeah, all of us could be major leaguers, right. for crying out loud. <laughs> but um, let me let me ask you about Rob Refsnyder. We, we've talked about him you know, ad nauseum on this, on this show. And he, he got the cup of coffee right around the All-Star break, and then he was sent back down. How has he been um, mentally and uh, on the field as well since he was sent back down to Scranton? I would say he's been great. You know, he, he has an outstanding personality. Uh, does he want to be in New York? Of course he does. Every single player wants to be in the majors and not be in the minors you know, for the sense of competition and all the other luxuries that come with being in a major league environment. Uh, but I, I think he's handled himself very well. You know, he's, he's been one of the hotter hitters in this league since around mid to late May-ish. Uh, his on-base rates got up dramatically. Uh, he, at one point over a two-month span, was leading all of AAA baseball on base percentage at above 500. And we're talking over a long span of games. This isn't just a game at a time or something. Uh, defensively, I still think he's better than what his numbers show, but he has had a handful of errors in recent games. Uh, I would wonder if some of that is the mental side to coming back down. Uh, he's still out there working on it every single day. I, I think at the start of the year, he talked about being in a fielding slump, that you know, while he led the team in hitting the big league team in spring training, he also was bad with the club and with his arm. And that spilled into the start of the year. I think it affected him at the plate a bit. That brings his composite hitting numbers down. Uh, but as soon as he found that confidence, his error numbers dropped dramatically month to month uh, up until just the last handful of days. And I, I think he's a major league player. Um, I don't know if that means he's going to be the Yankees' second baseman before the end of this year, but uh, I heard some other reports from some observers in New York, uh, some prominent media folks that talked about him looking mechanical or robot-like. I, I don't see that. And while it is a different position that he played in college, he was mostly a right fielder in college three years ago. He's been playing second base for some time. And and I think what he gives with the bat, he more than makes up for with the club. And I don't think he's a liability with the club. I think he's average. He, he certainly made a lot of tough plays when he was here. I mean, there was one game in New York that he made two charging plays, one well to his left, one to his right. I mean, and he made them all and made them look easy. So it, it's there. It's just, I mean, everybody. Chase Headley's got a lot of errors this season. So does Didi Gregorius. So does Steven Drew. So it happens. But I have to ask you this before we let you go, John. Even with all of this, with the 49 guys the Yankees have used and the bullpen shuffle, it, as Chris likes to say, it's the Gashouse Gorillas conga line coming up and down <laughs> from AAA to, to the majors. Scranton has, what, a four-game four lead in the division right now, 60 wins leading the, leading the division in the International League. Is Dave Miley the greatest International League manager of all time, or what is going on down there with – with this team, it seems no matter what happens, what the adversity, uh, he's got this team running. Yeah, I, I would say, I mean, I really think it's the players. That this is a really good team. And uh, all the players have spoken about their level of confidence, no matter who winds up coming through that clubhouse door next. And yes, it has been a revolving door. There's been a lot of turnover. That's, that's in many ways an A to AAA. Uh, the Yankees are certainly on the higher end of the spectrum in terms of volume of moves compared to other organizations. But 
but you expect that at this level. And I, I just think there are a lot of really, really good young players. Yeah, even at Double A right now, there are some good players. And there are some guys that are banged up right now, like Jacob Lindgren and Mason Williams. Uh, this team has been younger and more talented this year by far than any of my years here. And uh, I think when you go back to the infancy of Scranton as the Yankees affiliate, they had some teams that were loaded with six-year free agents with big league guys that were playing down, like Kay Gawa, Shelby Duncan, Eric Duncan was still a player in the organization. And those teams were very, very good. But this team is very, very good, and they're pretty much all 25 and under. And you have a lot of 21 to 23-year-olds, which is highly abnormal at this level, and they're taking names in the International League. And I really think that's a testament to what the Yankees have done, drafting and developing players, the character of these players, and, and most of all, their talent. Yeah, John, I mean, this is what Brian Cashman wants the big club to mirror. I mean, this is what they want it to be, and they've done their due diligence getting that farm system back up and running, and they've done a heck of a job, and so have you, uh, my friend. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, We appreciate the time, and uh, do you have a game tonight? Uh, No, we are traveling today. You're traveling today. We'll be on the bus going eight hours west the former Yankees triple Columbus, Ohio. All right. Uh, a little the, Columbus Clipper the Clippers. I just drove through Columbus, Ohio last month. It was a very exciting five minutes of my life. <laughs> <laughs> Johnny, safe travels, buddy. We appreciate it. And best of luck uh, the rest of this season. And uh, with the Westwood one and the CBS and the Fox, stay busy, my friend. You got it. Thank you, guys. All right. Take care. Take care. There he goes, Johnny Sadak. Uh, a proud Rowan professor like myself, uh, the play-by-play voice of the Scranton-Wilkes-Barre yep. Yankees, or Rail Riders, excuse mm. me. Formerly the Scranton-Wilkes-Barre Yankees and the yes. Empire State Yankees yes. and various other incarnations I of get that. My, yeah, I got it confused. I'm sorry. But uh, John did a tremendous job there. You learned a lot about Severino. Um, you learned a lot about Bird and Judge and their journey through the, the Yankee system this year. Um, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna. Well, s- let, me, let me say I was gonna say this before before yeah. we move on to our our football portion right. of the show because yes. it is football training camp. A, a lot of the things you said, you know, I've been on the Greg Bird bandwagon since day one. Absolutely, years ago. I mean, yeah. this, this kid has had everything you you look at to to make it. He said he's very good defensively at first base. Which when for you a kicked catcher, the door to my office down and said, "Did you hear?" The bird is the word. <laughs> but one thing I was gonna say about Aaron Judge is. You know, John talked about how he's not trying to hit home runs, but he's got leverage and power from his size. One really good example of that is something a lot of people may have seen either in highlights or, or down in Florida this spring. The first game of spring training, he went to Clearwater with the Yankees and hit a three-run home run to tie the game, the one Yankees preseason game that ended up tied with the Phillies. And he basically looked like he was trying to fight off an outside pitch just to, to get get the ball in play, and hit a three-run home run over the left center field wall. It just – that's the kind of, of hitting ability he has with that size and his, his leverage and his ability to recognize things. As, as John said, he's still working on advanced off-speed pitches. Right. But at that point, he was probably facing some you know, double-A or, or, or low-A pitcher because they're using nine guys a game at that point. And you saw what happened. I mean, he's got that ability to hit 35 home runs without really trying yeah. in the majors. Yeah, Someday. absolutely. So. And, you know, the, the height, just the, the build, kind of, you kind of look at him, you say, whoa, 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 you know, 
But and John said he's he's an inch and a couple pounds away from Jadavion Clowney, and he's an outfielder. He's a center fielder. He's Jadavion Clowney with a baseball bat. Oh God! <laughs> Put that in your pipe and smoke it. Couple more things on Severino, really quick. Three earned runs or less in 18 of his 19 starts this year between Double A AA and Triple A. He's given up 14 extra base hits in 358 at bats. Yeah. And eight home runs. Which means a lot of people are not hitting the ball hard. Eight home runs his entire minor league career, which goes back to 2012, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, yes. Or 20, when he was 18. Right. He came, he came to the States, I believe, in 2011 because he spent right. some time in, in 2012. He, he made the rocket, as you said last year, going from Charleston to Trenton. Oh, he was, uh, he he was, was on the, fire. Yeah, he was in the, the Florida State, uh, not the Florida State League, the Gulf Coast League uh, before that and then, you know, internationally. So he's... He's had the proverbial rocket strapped to him, and now it's Wednesday. Henry Owens is coming up to pitch Tuesday for the Red Sox, they announced uh, over the weekend. So you get Henry Owens on Tuesday, and then you get Severino on Wednesday. And then on Thursday, you just get, I don't know, Tanaka? Is that, or is he pitching Tuesday? It's the dog days of August. I mean, you know, come on. How, how, how much better could this series get, even if the Red Sox are in last place? And right now, when you're the Red Sox, they're really dog days in yeah. August. They can't, you know, I did watch, I have to say quick this. Enough. I was away, um, away, quote-unquote, I'm using air quotes, this weekend. Uh, some friends and I take an annual golf and casino outing okay. that happened to be over the weekend. So as we were getting ready to go to dinner. Is that a golfino outing? Golfino, yes. Golfino. Craps and strokes and all kinds of good stuff. Uh, I was watching Ben Charrington uh, on Nesson talking about the trade deadline and the things the Red Sox were doing. Because we had Nesson, obviously, on the TV at the, yes. the world-famous Foxwoods Hotel yes. Casino. And he said a lot of the same things that Brian Cashman has been saying about, you know, figuring out what we have with the farm system and this and that, looking for trades that are, Cashman likes to call them incremental upgrades, but the same thing with the Red Sox. You know, maybe Mike Napoli's value is a little bit better in a couple weeks if he starts hitting. Maybe it's time to look and see what we've got in guys like Henry Owens. And this is the the direction the Red Sox are going in. And you know what? The farm system is not just a trade chip anymore for these big market teams. Especially the Yankees, the Red Sox the last couple of years, you've seen Rosin Castillo and Mookie Betts and Owens now and these guys coming up, Xander Bogarts as well. This is, this is where we're going. Our buddy Chad from Lohud yep. um, had a great little blog out there just before on the Twitter machine, and uh, he kind of broke down the Ackley move. Everybody was like, okay, why are you trading for another second baseman that doesn't mm-hmm. really hit? Um, but he kind of put it into perspective. Um, it makes the Yankees younger. He's more versatile mm-hmm. in the field than Garrett Jones was. Uh, and going forward, the Yankees have two more years of control with him. So he's more versatile that way as well. So right. he brought up a, a lot of good points uh, moving forward. This this gives Joe Girardi. And we, we touched on And that. he could break out. I right. mean, we touched on that with Kenny a little bit earlier. But, you know, let me just reiterate these numbers. He's a 296 career hitter in 63 plate appearances at Yankee Stadium. Right. With a little bit of left-handed power, so that plays mm-hmm. well. He's more versatile than Garrett Jones because he can play second base. Mm-hmm. And Garrett Jones is a very good player. He just, you know, he was he was brought in ideally thinking, all right, if Beltran misses a lot of time, if Teixeira's wrist is messed up. And he didn't get the if A-Rod, you know, right. If A-Rod doesn't pan out and they need to move guys around the DH, he's going to get bets, and he didn't do it. But like I said, Ackley, 878 OPS at Yankee Stadium. He's making $2.5 or so this year. He's got two more arbitration years. The Yankees gave up two guys who are out of options in Flores and Ramirez 
They're, they've been on the 40-man roster since right. 2012. and they were going to be off it next year if they didn't make the team anyway. Jake Cave, Taylor Dugas, Ben Gamel, Mason Williams, Slade Heathcott, Mark Payton, Danny O. Seven guys who are all left-handed hitting outfielders right. in the upper two levels. Mason Williams on the DL. Mm-hmm. But the other six are all in the upper levels of you know, double-A, triple-A of the Yankees organization that all fit the same profile as Ramon Flores. Jose Ramirez, same thing. You got Danny Burrow on double A, and Mark Montgomery's still down there, who was much ballyhooed a couple years ago. Andrew Bailey and Johnny Barbado at triple A. Now they've been moved up. Plus, you've got Cotham, you've got Goody, you've got Martin. They've got Wilking Rodriguez, who pitched for Kansas City and started the season suspended. There's a lot of right, hard throwing right handed relievers in the upper levels of the system. There's a lot of left handed hitting on base profile, versatile outfielders in the upper levels of the system. So what Brian Cashman did was trade two guys who may or may not have been on the team next year because they're out of options for something. He's got a two-year look at Ackley now, who's very versatile. Maybe he takes over at second, and, you know, it's a move. It's an incremental upgrade. We'll see what happens. And we change course now, Lou. Yes. We go from the dog. After that aside, sorry. Yes, the dog days of baseball and heading to the postseason to the rebirth of Giants football, which I know you're very excited about. I can't wait, yeah. (laughs) Uh, Art Stapleton of The Record, he's the Giants beat reporter. He joins us to talk a little Giants football. Art, thank you so much for your time today. We appreciate it. No problem, guys. The rebirth of Giants football. Boy, you guys know something that I don't know? (laughs) (laughs) Just football season in general, Art. It was pretty much, it was vague on my part, and I, I apologize for that. Um, the awakening, the yes. awakening of Giants football the, from, uh, from season-long slumber. How <laughs> yes. about that? As long as they stay asleep <laughs> on two certain dates of the calendar, they can do whatever yeah, they want. I got an Eagles. I, I got an Eagles guy next to me. It's it's brutal, especially during football season. But he does have to wear a Giants jersey yes, to the first Giants Eagle game. He yes, lost the bet. Anyway, let, right. let's get to the team. I saw this tweet, uh, and and I and I found it very interesting. You threw it out there. Uh, it might have been early today or yesterday uh, when the Giants score twenty-eight or more. The last three years, they're 12 and 2. When they don't, they're 10 and 24. And golly, I didn't think that it was that bad, but I guess it is. <laughs> well, goodness. the year, the two, two seasons ago when they started 0 and 6, uh, they, they hit 28 points just once in the entire season. Wow. Uh, which is hard to believe. And that was the year that ended with John Mara calling the offense broken. So I'd say that's broken. And in, in today's day and age, you know, Jerry Reese really has talked about that a lot, the way they've built this roster. Uh, you know, the, the Odell Beckham Jr. era has put the Giants in a different class as far as offense goes, and I think uh, they, they, they understand what you have to do in this league to win in the regular season. Yeah, and let's talk about the 1,000-pound gorilla in the room. I guess if you add up all the offensive linemen's weight, it, it would get to about 1,000. Oh, maybe at least. Over. <laughs> 15 and change. But, you know, everybody wants... I want... thought you were going to say the press room. Jeez, <laughs> come on. <laughs> no! I'm not going to insult you to your face or on the air. <laughs> to your ears? <laughs> um, no, the offensive line, that's, that's where every Giant fan, like, immediately goes. And that's where I want to go with you. And I know it's only been, like, a, uh, not even a week of camp. Uh, and Pugh has moved from right tackle to left guard. Richburg uh, goes back to his natural position of center. Schwartz, you know, he had a sore foot yesterday, so we don't know what's going on with him. I'm going to ask you about him. And Eric right. Flowers at the left tackle. Marshall Newhouse uh, getting time with the starters at the right tackle position. Uh, you know, this is kind of patchwork, but from what I read and what I see from the players, uh, namely Andre Williams saying, you know, 
how good Flowers has looked. I'm going to shut up now and just have you tell me how they've looked so far. I know it's early, but what does the line look like? Yeah, I mean, considering they haven't even put full pads on yet, um, it's really as much a guessing game as anything else. But uh, here's the way I look at it. You know, would they, would they want Marshall Newhouse to start the season at right tackle? No. They wanted Will Beatty to start the season at left tackle, and they wanted Eric Flowers at right tackle. But guess what? Will Beatty's not starting at left tackle. Will Beatty is out until at least the end of October with a torn pectoral. So now you've got to move Flowers to left tackle, and now you have really a guessing game at right tackle. We'll see if Newhouse can hold down the fort uh, based on his body of work the last two years. I'd say that's unlikely. Uh, but, look, this is the way I look at the Giants' offensive line. They needed to upgrade their interior line. They were pushed all over the place from left guard to right guard last year in the run game. That was the major reason why they failed as far as yards per carry, uh, why there really wasn't much consistency. I do think that they will upgrade at left guard by moving Richburg to center. Uh, Justin Pugh, I think, will thrive at left guard. I think he's had a great offseason. I think Richburg is an upgrade at center at his natural position. And I think Jeff Schwartz will stay healthy, although they'll get to monitor his soreness, uh, which is understandable. Uh, you want a 300-plus-pound guy to watch how his feet are feeling. Uh, but I think they will upgrade their entire interior. Uh, and then it comes down to Ken Flowers uh, have more good plays than bad plays. Because in this league, you know, when the left tackle is on an island, and he will be on an island, you know, you're going to make bad plays, but you're going to hold up a good percentage of the time. And I think, you know, you just got to hope that Eric Flowers isn't making – the bad play at the worst possible time uh, in the Giants, you know, early part of the season, I'd say. So that's my uh, that's my rundown, at least the assessment of the offensive line where they are right now. As long as he doesn't take the SS minnow to that island, I think he'll be fine. Uh, <laughs> what about what about Jake Long? There, there's there were some rumblings. He came in for a couple of visits. Is is there any way of the Giants? You know, it seems like they ran him through some drills and he was okay. Is is there any chance that they're going to take him on here? I think there is a chance. Uh, you know, I, I put it last week when he when he left here at seventy percent that that they would still sign him. Uh, you know, the the reality is with Long, you know, someone told me, look, he's getting him wherever he goes, he's going to get a veteran minimum contract unless somehow he can get a couple teams into a bidding war. You know, that's one of the reasons why they visited Atlanta, the Giants for a second time, right. and then Denver. You know, in the three-day span, you know, look, you try to get a little bit more money. You can't blame him to try to get some more investment out of a team so that this way, if he's slow to come along at the end of August, if a team has made a little bit more of an investment than just a veteran minimum, well, then maybe they'll say, you know what, we're going to keep him into the season. You know, because once a veteran, a vested veteran gets into, I know I'm getting a little inside football, but once a vested veteran, a guy with three years or more experience, gets into the regular season, his contract is completely guaranteed. Right. So with a guy like Jake Long, if he signs, you know, and he's not ready to go and he doesn't have a good start to camp, come the end of August, a team will just cut him and then pick him up again if they so choose week two. So this way his contract's not guaranteed. So with Long, I do think he'll get a shot to play somewhere. I do think the Giants are desperate enough where he can look at this as an opportunity that if things go well, 
that he can take someone's spot. That spot would be right tackle, not left. Uh, I don't think you can put Jake Long at left tackle right now after what he's had. Let's see him in some games first. Uh, but that would be that would be the answer to the Jake Long saga. Is that the ball's in his court right now? I don't believe anybody is going to give him more than what the veteran minimum is. The guy's coming off of back-to-back ACL surgeries. You know, look, he had a bunch of injuries before that. Uh, but look, the talent was there at one time. And if you're desperate, and the Giants are a little bit desperate, uh, I think it, it, it basically, you know. You know, misery makes uh, good bedfellows. Isn't that, isn't that the, the analogy or some way, shape, misery or form of that? So I misery think, loves uh, company, yeah. I, I think that's, the, uh, that, that's kind of the, the, the way I'm looking at the Jake Long scenario. I know very well as an Eagles fan what your left tackle being out on an island looks like, especially against the Giants. Uh, Donovan McNabb knows really well, too. Let, let's talk a little bit more about the, uh, the rest of this offense. You know, Odell Beckham Jr. kind of – comes out of the offensive line debate because it was just a year ago in the draft that many people were like, why, why are the Giants taking Beckham this high when, you know, Martin was still on the board who ended up going to the Cowboys and other good offensive linemen when the offensive line and ended a, up being a steamroller, yeah, for a them. steamroller An offensive line has been an issue for the last few years, but now with flowers, they've got their linemen, they're working together on this line. And now they have an explosive playmaker reigning NFL offensive rookie of the year who was on the field with Victor Cruz for, what, two games last year before Cruz tore his uh, patella tendon in, against the Eagles. Yep. These two guys now, this, this looks like an offense that could go from being kind of plotting and, as you said, broken a couple years ago in the Kevin Gilbride era to a lot of weapons to stretch the field and a lot of room underneath for guys like Larry Donnell, who really kind of broke out last year in a big way, too. Right. Well, don't forget Shane Vereen, too. I mean, yeah. uh, Tom Brady showed in the Super Bowl what Shane Vereen could do. Shane Vereen can do against a defense that, that's playing a little zone and, and manning up on the outside. He, what, he caught 11 balls in the Super Bowl? I mean, that's game of his Eli career. Manning, that, you know, he knows that whatever the defenses are going to be doing against the guys like Beckham and Cruz and Donnell, and don't forget Ruben Randall, who had a quiet season last year, quiet in terms of 71 catches and almost 1,000 yards. I mean, you know, look, or at least 200 yards short of 1,000, but you get the drift if he wasn't so inconsistent. Um, I think, you know, this offense right now has suited. You know, we talk about all the weapons. The reality is the comfort level for Eli Manning this year compared to last year is really remarkable. I mean, when you consider last year, he was coming off the 27 interception season. He had a new coordinator for the first time in his career. There were talk. There was talk that oh well, will will this offense fit him? And Eli can't play in a West Coast offense. And what's he going to do? And he goes. And he had a problem with the ankle last year. People forget that as well. That he had the ankle cleanup surgery, and then was going in and was supposed to be limited in the spring and the summer. Uh, And then he comes out and has the kind of year that he had last year that really gets overshadowed by what Beckham did, uh, and when it was really Eli and Beckham. So I think you know. We could talk about the weapons all we want, but Eli Manning right now, going into a contract year, whether or not he gets his extension, uh, and I do think that'll happen sooner rather than later, the, the bottom line is Eli Manning is at another level right now and probably a level where no one has seen him in the regular season, maybe in his career. You know, you could talk about where he's been in the postseason, but in the regular season, I don't think Eli Manning got the credit he deserved last year for how well he played at times. And I think that's where you pick up this year and say, boy, 
no one's talking about Eli Manning in the regular season right now. And if you consider league-wide, if the Giants get off to as good a start as they hope offensively, it's going to be talking about Beckham and Eli in a conversation where all of a sudden the accolades, I think, will be thrown at their feet uh, collectively. Eli has, you know, he walks out to his, you know, team garage, and he he hits the button to open up the the bay doors. (laughs) He's got Ferraris. He's got Lamborghinis. He's got Porsches. He's got all these hot sports cars. I'll even throw in Burt Reynolds' Trans Am, <laughs> okay? They could, they could find Don DeLuise there, too? Yes, he is. He's in, the, he's in the rescue squad. He's in the, uh, what the heck do you call those things? Ambulances. <laughs> oh, my God. How could, but here's the thing. You know, and I hate to be Debbie Downer here, but he has all of the, and I'm not, you know, Eli did a tremendous job last year. You know, it was a patchwork offensive line. It was the first year with McAdoo's system. You had to figure there were going to be issues. So he opens up that garage. He has all those toys. But if this offensive line can't get it together, it's like having all those cars and the Autobahn is shut down for a year. It's just so frustrating. Right. I know your point. But, you know, Eli had that season last year. Are we talking how how good Eli can play? versus are the Giants going to win? And, and that's a different story. Right. Now, you're 100% right in terms of they need to get that this offensive line to be productive for the running game and to keep Eli standing up. But he's proved last year, like you said, the offense was, the offensive line was just, enough, just good enough to get by, but he still did what he did, and Beckham still did what he did. Right. So, you know, there are two points to it. Uh, if they're going to win... They don't want this to be the Eli Beckham uh, throw to Beckham 15 times a game and hope that he breaks three for, for long touchdowns. This has got to be a better offense, a better balanced offense. Uh, but I understand your point. You know, let's not forget, you know, the Ferrari last year had a, you know, had a flat tire for four games. <laughs> and, you know, the You're Lamborghini right. lost its engine in Philly and, right. and then didn't come back on the field on the on the the street for the rest of the season. So, you know, as much as we talk about this, you know, we spent last year in training camp with the Giants. A couple of Pintos their, at running Some back. of their cornerbacks talking about how good they were and how they were going to be a league, you know, league leading. And then, and then all of a sudden they're, uh, they, they're looking for, for guys off the street to come play corner because of all the injuries. So your point is well taken. Thanks for bringing me back, Art. I appreciate it. <laughs> the, that was going to be where we were going to segue. There's a lot of traffic on the Jersey Turnpike from that offensive line last year, too, with all those Ferraris not giving them any time <laughs> to get, get moving. Uh, you know, the, the defense is, has been a hallmark of the New York Giants for years. And, you know, the big names are, have all moved on as of late from the Tucks and the Humaniores and all that. And, and now we have the Jason Pierre-Paul situation, which even as an Eagles fan, I can't in good conscience make light of because it's just a, a stupid mistake that he made that now he's – going to suffer the rest of his career for what is the vibe around camp right now with the pierre paul situation and what's going on there uh you know i i think the players from a player perspective i i think because he wasn't here in the spring you know it's not like this was a player that they were with for months and months and then all of a sudden they go away for those you know three weeks four weeks in between the end of the spring workouts and then the beginning of training camp and then all of a sudden this happens uh, so they've been practicing this way, you know, with, 
with Robert Ayers and George Selvey and Demontre Moore and Kerry Wynn, those guys at defensive end, you know, there was always that idea of when Jason Pierre-Paul comes back. Uh, and now you're dealing with not only the contract situation, but obviously something much more serious and really something far more uncertain. Uh, I, I do believe that the, the players, from their perspective, they're, they're just out there and, you know, from a player, if you want to say, okay, Robert Ayers, you're not as good as Jason Pierre-Paul, you know, he's going to tell you, well, of course I am. You know, and Demontre Moore, same thing. And, you know, George Selvey was the guy before Jason Pierre-Paul down in South Florida when they were teammates in college. So I think it's more of a front office media thing and even a coach's thing because Steve Spagnuolo knows, look, Jason Pierre-Paul changes the complexion of my front line and my defense. Doesn't mean I can't win without him, but it's certainly I have to do things a lot differently. I mean, for all the talk about JPP getting all those sacks and quote unquote garbage time at the end of the season last year, he's a top five, four, three defensive end against the run. Right. And people want to criticize him for whatever, but the bottom line is the guy played the run very well. Uh, the one thing he can't really play well is the read option, but, you know, not many teams play the read option in the NFL. So if you're going to get burned by Jacksonville when they run the, the read option, well, then pull your hair out as much as you want. But <laughs> I, I think there's Too a little late. uncertainty, uh, well, a lot of uncertainty regarding Jason Pierre-Paul. But to me, guys, it comes down to this. They're at a stalemate. Right. You know, Jason Pierre-Paul is not signing a contract uh, so that the Giants could somehow punish him and take money away. The Giants aren't going to allow him to sign the contract until they get to see his hand, see what the situation is, see what the prognosis is, what their doctors believe is his timetable. But Jason Pierre-Paul can't go anywhere else. He can't decide all of a sudden that he's going to go play in Jacksonville or he's going to go play in Oakland for more money. This is a one-year situation where the Giants and Jason Pierre-Paul have to come to a compromise. They're forced to come to a compromise by the rules. So I think when, when the first week gets by of training camp and then we start settling in and the preseason games start coming out, I think Jason Pierre-Paul and his representatives will be up here in East Rutherford. They will be meeting with the Giants. I don't think it's an on-the-field thing right now. Right now it's about hammering out a deal to get him here, to be in the building, and, and to feel like you're moving together towards something rather than what it is right now, and that's Jason Pierre-Paul versus the Giants, versus reality. And I don't think those things can exist much longer. Yeah, and, and you brought up another thorn uh, in my side with this team. And, you know, JPP was so good against the run, and this team was 30th against the run last year, right. giving up over 135 <laughs> yards per game. So not having him there doesn't really bode well. When the Titans and Browns are the only two worse teams than you against the run, you have to hang your head in shame as a Giant fan. All right, just a couple more for Nailed me. It. Just a couple more for me, Art, and then we'll let you go. First, I just want to get a feel with Spagnola back. What is the air around the defense with this guy back in the house? What's it like? Uh, the big the, everybody's talking attack, 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 and you get the sense that there were people in this building, whether it's players existing here or front office types, uh, or you know that kind of feeling that the Giants just allowed teams to dictate to them last year defensively, mm -hmm. that they, they weren't adjusting on the fly. Uh, they weren't taking it to the opponent. You know, some of the defensive guys that I've talked to at the beginning of camp, 
they keep echoing the same sentiment is that you know, we are not going to wait for, to see what an offense is going to do to us. We're going to try to dictate what we do to them. And then if we get something that we didn't expect, then we're going to adjust. You know, there, there were times last year, you know, if you guys remember the whole fiasco at halftime of one of the games where Jason Pierre Paul, uh, they, they, the question was, why didn't the Giants adjust at halftime? What were the changes? And, oh, yeah, and that was against was, the read I, option. I, I, yeah. I was in the bathroom. You know, that was the whole <laughs> I was in the bathroom yeah, yeah, situation. Yeah. You know, it was a flippant remark by Pierre Paul, but certainly that was the that was the feeling around the Giants last year is that their defense was reactive and not proactive. And I so so for Spagnola, you can talk all about all you want about the Super Bowl in '07 and everything that that team represented. They're going to try to bring that back and vocally, but you know, it's like a high school football team when you when you get new T-shirts and you have a great slogan, everything's great until <laughs> you get the ball on the field, and then all of a sudden. If you're good, you're good. If you're not good, it's not going to matter what you're wearing on the back of your T-shirt. <laughs> Just don't burn the boats this year. We might need them. <laughs> yeah, I don't think uh, I don't think they're going down that road. Yeah. But they certainly had a good feeling back in uh, back in eleven when yeah. they were all in the way uh, the way they they were able to go after the Patriots. And I think you know, Giants fans are hoping that every four years that you know it's a presidential election yeah, and it's a giant yeah. Super Bowl. So, uh, well, I, we could all hope for the best, can't we? That's what they're hoping. That's um, what they're hoping, so we'll see. And with him back, I mean, just really quick, if, if DRC and Prince stay healthy, he's got two great cover corners to go along with, you know, if they could develop some guys on the defensive line to go after the quarterback. Uh, he, he's better off in the defensive backfield than with Landon Collins, you know, the, uh, the draft pick this year. Uh, I mean, I, I, their defensive backfield looks better than it did the, the last time uh, he, he spent some time here with the Giants as their coordinator. I, I just had a quick statement. It was from an NFL.com writer. He said the Giants have the weakest linebacking group in the league. Do you agree with that? No, not at all. And I think, I think if, if you're in week three and John Beeson gets hurt again and J.T. Thomas doesn't live up to what, uh, he looks at like physically and what he showed in flashes in Jacksonville. Well, then you might be saying that if it, if it's you know if Devon Kennard gets hurt and is not on the field, I think week three you can make that statement and you could say Giants have the worst linebackers in the league uh, because they have guys who are who are special team guys. You know, Mark Herzlick, uh Jonathan Casillas, who they brought in. Right. You know, Jamil McLean did very well. You know, he was active and he filled in, but he's a reserve guy right now. But I think as constituted, potentially, if John Beeson is healthy at middle linebacker and Devon Kennard is on the strong side, and I happen to like J.T. Thomas on the weak side, I think they're going to be pretty good at linebacker. Again, that whole if healthy, when you're dealing with injuries like the Giants have the last two years, you can't always consider if healthy a guarantee. Um, but I think that's... Uh, I think that's looking at that that the glass half empty, not half full. Put it that way. Is Andy Hedden available? Hello. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, one last thing, buddy, before I let you go, and it's just an observation. You know, we are robbed this year um, because Bob Shepard, of course, passed away a couple years ago, and uh, uh, Pat Summerall passed away, of course, uh, too. And who wouldn't want to hear either one of those? Gentlemen, I know where you're going. Say, Owamabe Odigizua. <laughs> who, nice. who wouldn't want to hear that? I, I'll I mean, tell you what. I think you know, there's a cream nowadays, for that. It, 
whoever's going to be doing the announcing, I guarantee you it's double O. That's double all O. They're going to say, yeah, that's a good one. He's going to become double O because the- pronouncing the name is too difficult. But uh, Odigizuo will be another one. Will be interesting to see. Uh, you know, when when OCU Manura resigns to the Giant and retires later this summer. Uh, all of a sudden, you go from Yumanura to Odikizua, uh, and he's the kind of weapon that that maybe the Giants could turn him into something. Yeah, uh, boy, if he's half the playmaker that Oji was in his heyday, uh, I'd say that you know Yumanura. If it's this is Yumanura times two, I'd say Odikizua is is one of those draft picks that the Giants will love, but. Uh, that is a funny point that you made about, about pronunciating his name. <laughs> Maybe they can get Adewale Agunlie and Kabir Gabajabi Amila to come yeah. in here and have the all the all <laughs> the all incomprehensible team. Um, he got Odiggy Zua with it. Yes, he's going to get Diggy with it. He's going to get Diggy was, with it. There I've you been go. Saying that uh, you, you can see it happening already. Art, we're on to, this. Turn it down to down with JPP into getting Diggy with there it. There you go. Oh, oh, here we go, baby. At a boy, Art, we're on the same page, uh, and it's always a pleasure talking to you. We got to get you on here more throughout the season. We'd appreciate it if you'd hop back on once or twice, maybe. Ten times, we would love it. Uh, thank you f- so much for joining us, spending a little bit of time. I know you have to get back to camp, but thank you for the time, buddy, and we'll, we'll see you down the line. Definitely, fellas. Talk to, you, talk to you again soon. All right. Take care, take care, buddy. How about that? Getting, I love getting Art. Art. Art has such a great personality. He's not like a curmudgeonly beat writer. Beat writer you know what I mean? It's just to the point where yeah, he's just like he's, the phone was ringing, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, we apologize. Weird. Yeah, no, he's. I mean, he's great. You know, you. you I obviously I see his stuff all the time. I'm Even sorry, though I'm an I, Eagles fan. Like, I'm you know, sorry, I inundated you with a little big blue here. Hey, you know what? It's this. This is a division rivalry that's that's going to get heavy. I mean, the Eagles are on their own. They've got their own mess going on is with there, various things. So. Is there any heat now with, between with Chip Kelly? You know, and this. And the problems with African Americans. Well, he just players. hates everybody. I think so. Really, I mean, he's just an equal opportunity hater. Because really. uh, who is who is? Uh, well, Sean McCoy with all his. Well, he was stupidity. the first one, but who? Yeah. Oh, Brandon, Brandon Boykin. Boykin. He just went to the Steelers, and you know he made some comments too. Yeah, Brandon Boykin, who was the best cornerback on the team last year, as the nickel guy, and that's they've got their own issues. Like I said, and it's going to be interesting. I, my Tim Tebow jersey's on the way, so I got that going for me. But uh, wow. Yeah, hell yeah. I'm a Gator fan. You didn't fan. get a Sam Bradford? No, I'm a Gator fan and an Eagles fan. Why wouldn't I want a Tim, T- uh, Tim Tebow Eagles jersey? All right. Right? Is he going to be on the team? Apparently. We'll see. Is Mark Sanchez? No, he's not the number one Sam Bradford spends more time in the trainer's room than he does on the field over his career, and Mark Sanchez is still Mark Sanchez, so you this never know. This is true. This is true. If anybody knows how to back up Mark Sanchez, it's Tebow. So, he really, does. I mean, you know, you got that going for him. Yeah, which is nice. And we had this going for us, which was nice. How about this cavalcade of stars? We, we've got today? like a magic hour and a half. I know, almost at this point, dude. Here. We got Ken Singleton, our very own Ken Singleton, yes, network analyst. John Sadak, the play-by-play voice of the Scranton Wilkesbury Rail Riders, and then we just had Art Stapleton of the record on the Giants. We got this is like Singleton, Sadak, and Stapleton. It's the three S's of sports, yes. right there. On Severino, no less, in the middle. So, oh my. Alliteration. This yes. is the alliteration this is podcast. Where it, you, you think I come up with all these witty titles on my own for all there these you go. shows? It's already I, taken care of. Up. Yeah, this one writes itself. It's already taken care it's of. It's already taken care of. Alliteration. They didn't even have to hear us talk for very long, which is probably the best 
yes. Christian and Joe. Especially with Sadak on. Yeah. That guy could talk. He can. Love he knows that his guy. stuff. He does. Anyway. <laughs> I have not been to Scranton this year, oddly enough. Can you, can you believe that? I have not been to Scranton I was there for Tanaka. You were there. And, and you it talked was to, freezing. And you talked to uh, Ref Snyder. I talked and, to Ref um, Snyder, yeah. Somebody else that came up right after that. And Jacob Lindgren. Jacob Lindgren, correct, yes. Yeah. We yeah, used that interview on DPTV. We did. He was he was a little out there, yep. Jacob. He's no, young. He's, he's young. No, I have not been to Scranton. I've only been to Trenton once, and it was for our game. I, I have not. The I have been game, slipping yeah. on my minor league coverages here, and I apologize for that. But we have Pinstripe Prospects as our Yes affiliate, and we've had Matt Cardoso on a couple times. You're so, human, Lou. You know, we've we've got it covered. I can't do everything. You're only human. I heard that song on the way into work today. You're an Eagles fan. Oh. It's a mistake. <laughs> So now I can make my JPP exploding on the scene joke, all right? Because you you went there. I was going to hold it's on to that. Fine, you know, it, it, like Art said, you know, just to wrap it up really quick. Art Art brought up the best point. He is the linchpin to that defense. Mm-hmm. He he makes everything go. Yeah. He's the guy you potentially have to double. He goes away. Yeah. Hold. Game plans get changed. And I completely forgot that George Selvey, he was teammates with JPP at South Florida. Yes, he, he was. the guy down there before South Florida, a Big East, now American Athletic Conference yes. rival of Temple's. And they've got Selvey, they've got Kerry Wynn, Robert Ayers, Colin Jenkins, Demontre Moore, who they're pushing really hard, and our boy, Oamabe Odigizua. And, and you said a couple of, you made the joke of a couple of Pintos at running back, but Andre Williams was, what, third or fourth in the nation oh, no, in rushing no, no. two years ago? I mean, this is, he's, not, he's I developing, did, I too, didn't mean so. Dre. No, I, I didn't mean Dre. You're talking about Rashad Jennings and Michael no, Cox. No, not Rashad and Jennings, but Michael Cox. I think we had that kid, Darkwa. Um, was there a Peyton Hillis sighting at any point? There in might time? have been I a mean, pa- you know. it, it, the, the past two years with the Giants he running back. He was a injuries. Madden cover boy once. Yeah. Of all guys. Peyton Hillis. And now it's, and now it's OBJ. So OBJ. he's going he's gonna to tear his ACL. In oh, week two, so. no, no. We, no, no. No Madden coverage? No. The football gods cannot blow my. My starting defensive end's pointer off, and then tear the ACL of the star receiver. Hope not, because like I said during the interview, I think they were what together for two weeks before Cruz Torres, Patella, and Philly. So I mean, the two of those guys together could be could be ridiculous. All right, now we're just annoying people. Uh, we've been talking for so long; it's time to wrap this up. For Lou DiPietro, I'm Chris Sheeran. We hope you enjoyed a bonus Monday podcast, and we'll be back on Thursday once again. To talk more baseball. You'll have to hear us. Yeah, that'll be on Severino, what we thought, and and more. So we'll see you Thursday, everybody. Take care!